0: Welcome to the Slate Star Codex podcast for the 6th of April 2020. Title, Slate Star Codex Journal Club, Real World Depression Measurement. The largest non-pharma antidepressant trial ever conducted just confirmed what we already knew. Scientists love naming things after pandas. We already had pandas. Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcus, and PANDA, Proton Annihilator at Darmstadt. But the latest in this pandemic of PANDA pandering is the PANDA, Prescribing Antidepressants Appropriately, study. A group of British scientists followed 655 complicated patients who received either placebo or the antidepressant sertraline. Zoloft. The PANDA trial was unique in two ways. First, as mentioned, it was the largest ever trial for a single antidepressant not funded by a pharmaceutical company. Second, it was designed to mimic the real world, in inverted commas, as closely as possible. In most antidepressant trials, researchers wait to gather the perfect patients, people who definitely have depression and definitely don't have anything else. Then they get the top psychiatrists to carefully evaluate each patient, monitor the way they take their medication, and exhaustively test every aspect of their progress with complicated questionnaires. Panda looks for normal people going to their GP's, or in US English their PCP's, office, with all of the mishmash of problems and comorbidities that implies. Measuring real-world efficacy is especially important for antidepressant research, because past studies have failed to match up with common sense. Most studies show antidepressants having clinically insignificant, in inverted commas, effects on depression. That is, although scientists can find a statistical difference between treatment and placebo groups, it seems too small to matter. But in the real world, most doctors find antidepressants very useful, and many patients credit them for impressive recoveries maybe a big real-world study would help bridge the gap between study versus real-world results. The study used an interesting selection criteria. You were allowed in if you and your doctor reported quote, uncertainty about the possible benefit of an antidepressant, end quote. That is, people who definitely didn't need antidepressants were sent home without an antidepressant. People who definitely did need antidepressants got the antidepressant and people on the borderline made it into the study. This is very different from the usual pharma company method of using the people who desperately need antidepressants the most in order to inflate success rates. And it's more relevant to clinical practice. Part of what it means for studies to guide our clinical practice is to tell us what to do in cases where we're not otherwise sure. They ended up with 655 people, ages 18 to 74, from Bristol, Liverpool, London and York. They followed up on how they were doing it 2, 6 and 12 weeks after they started medication. As usual, they scored patients on a bunch of different psychiatric tests. In the end, Panda confirmed what we already know. It's really hard to measure antidepressant outcomes and all the endpoints conflict with each other. I'm going to be much nicer to you than the author of the original studies were to their readers and give you a convenient table with all the results converted to effect sizes. All the values are positive, meaning the antidepressant group beat the placebo group. I calculated some of this by hand, so it may be wrong. Here follows a table with three columns, one for endpoint, one for effect size, and one for p-value. Endpoint PHQ-9, effect size 0.19, p-value 0.1. For BDI, effect size 0.21, p-value 0.01. Endpoint GAD-7, 0.25, effect size, p-value less than or equal to 0.0001. SF-12, effect size 0.23, P value 0.0002. PHQ9 remission. Effect size 0.31. P value 0.1. BDI remission. Effect size 0.55. P value 0.049. And self rated improvement. Effect size 0.49. Value less than or equal to 0. 0.0001. PHQ9 is a common depression test. BDI is another common depression test. GAD7 is an anxiety test. SF12 is a vague test of how mentally healthy you're feeling. Remission indicates percent of patients whose test scores have improved enough that they qualify as no longer depressed. Self rated improvement was just asking patients if they felt any better. I like this study because it examines some of the mystery of why antidepressants do much worse in clinical trials than according to anecdotal doctor and patient intuitions. One possibility has always been that we're measuring these things wrong. The study goes to exactly the kind of naturalistic setting where people report good results and measures things a bunch of, pe- a bunch of different ways to see what happens. The results are broadly consistent with previous studies. Usually people think of effect sizes less than 0.2 as minuscule, less than 0.5 as small, and less than 0.8 as medium. This study showed only small to low-medium effect sizes for everything. I haven't checked whether differences between effect sizes were significant, but just eyeballing them, this study doesn't agree with my hypothesis, hypothesis that SSRIs are better for anxiety than depression. The GAD7 effect size is about the same as the PHQ and the BDI effect sizes. It does weakly support a hypothesis where SSRIs are better for patient-rated improvement than for researcher-measured tests. The highest effect size was in self-rated improvement, where the researchers just asked the patients if they felt better. This effect size, 0.49, was still small. But if we let ourselves round it up, it reaches all the way to medium. Progress. What does this mean in real life? 59% of patients in the antidepressant group compared to 42% of patients in the placebo group said that they felt better. I'm actually okay with this. It means that for every 58 patients who wouldn't have gotten better on placebo, 17% of them, 17 of them would get better on an antidepressant. In other words, the antidepressant successfully converted 30% of people from non-responder to responder. This obviously isn't as good as 50% or 100%, but it doesn't strike me as as consistent with the claims of clinically insignificant and why would anyone ever use these medications. Though, of course, this is just one study, and it's a study where I took the most promising of many different endpoints, so it's not exactly cause for celebration. If antidepressants do better on a patient report than our depression tests, does that mean our depression tests are bad? Maybe. Figure four from Hieronymus et al Lincoln Post helps clarify a bit of what's going on. Here follows a table uh, with two columns patients with non severe depression and patients with severe depression. It's figure four endpoint effect sizes for items on the HDRS in patients with non severe and severe depression. Then it lists a set of symptoms, those in HDRS six. Depressed mood, guilt, work and interests, psychomotor retardation, psychic anxiety, general somatic symptoms, and the rest, non-HDRS, RS6, suicidal ideation, initial insomnia, middle insomnia, late insomnia, psychomotor agitation, somatic anxiety, gastrointestinal symptoms, sexual symptoms, hypochondriasis, weight change, and insight. And then there are bars, stretching in the positive and negative direction for the effect size for both columns. For the non-severe depression effect size, all of the bars are positive, uh, with the exception of late insomnia, somatic anxiety, gastrointestinal symptoms, sexual symptoms, and weight change. Um, They vary in how positive they are. Uh, We'll get to this in a second. Uh, With patients with severe depression, all of the effect sizes are positive, except for sexual symptoms, which is very slightly negative. The caption says... Effect sizes for all individual HDRS items for patients with non-severe baseline HDRS 17 sum score less than or equal to 18 points, and severe baseline HDRS 17 sum score greater than or equal to 27 points, depression. HDRS 17 equals 17 item Hamilton Depression Rating Scale HDRS 6 equals 6-item Hamilton Depression Rating Scale. Non-HDRS 6 equals the 11-item Hamilton Depression Rating Scale. Then there are a series of p-values that I won't read out. At least in less severely depressed patients, antidepressants are more likely to produce significant gains on vaguer or more fundamental systems symptoms, like depressed mood or anxiety, than on specific symptoms like insomnia or psychomotor disruptions. Probably patients care a lot less about psychomotor disruptions than researchers studying depression do, and they just want to feel happy again. This study's finding of a 0.4 to 0.5 effect size on patient response closely matches Hieronymus et al.'s finding of an 0.4 to 0.5 effect size on depressed mood. Like most studies, PANDA used a one-size-fits-all solution based on a single antidepressant. This is a reasonable choice for a study, but doesn't match clinical practice, where we usually try one antidepressant, see if it works, and try another if it doesn't. In patients like the ones we study, who had failed treatment with citraline, a usual next step would be to try bupropion. An even better idea would be to screen patients for more typical versus atypical depression, Start people on sertraline or bupropion instead based on the symptom profile and then switch to the other if the first didn't work. The STAR-D trial did something like this but got better results than an SSRI alone. I haven't done the work I would need to compare this to STAR-D but it seems possible that the extra push from targeted treatment could bring our 0.49 effect size up to the 0.7 or 0.8 level where we could actually feel fully confident prescribing this stuff. This audio version of Slate Star Codex is provided with the permission of Scott Alexander. I'm not Scott, I'm Solenoid Entity. You can find me at Slatestarpodcast at gmail.com or on Patreon at patreon.com/slash ssc podcast. If you'd like to reference this material, please do so by linking to the original post and if you think having an audio version of Slate Star Codex is valuable and you don't have something better to do with your money, please consider donating to patreon.com slash sscpodcast. See you next time.